Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good morning. Good morning. It's a great privilege to be continuing our sermon series on Galatians. As Lizzie said, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Che. I'm one of our curates here. And last week, as part of our baptism service, um, Andy introduced this extraordinary letter to us. So I thought I would recap just quickly. So the writer of our letter is, of course, Paul the person who met Jesus on the road to Damascus and became one of the key leaders of the early church by quite an extraordinary journey, but that's a discussion for another time. We do know, however, from Acts that alongside Barnabas, the great encourager of his, Paul's first missionary journey took in southern Galatia in about 48 AD. So we have a a map. Uh, This is from biblemapper.com. I don't waste my evenings. Um, And um, this is, there's also a little map in our study guide, which I know some of you will be using. And in seriousness, I'm genuinely encouraging folk at the moment to try and immerse ourselves in the worldview of these writers in the practical context of these writers, I think it can help us to start to think what Paul was trying to do with this letter. So a couple of years before writing this letter, Paul and his colleagues have set off from uh, Antioch, sort of at the top right-ish. They've gone through Cyprus into Galatia, which is towards the top left. That's what we would call uh, modern-day southern Turkey. Now, travelling back then, you think travelling now is hard, Um, you know, travelling back then was really hard. Conditions on ships were not luxurious, it would be fair to say, and people tended to avoid travelling by land due to the state of the roads, you know. I mean, to be honest, Burley Road's getting a bit, you know, Burley Road, but that's a separate issue. Um, but there's also the danger of robbers and so on and so forth. So has anybody been watching this program? Come up, race across the world. We got, yes, we've got a race across the world. So if you're not familiar with the premise of race across the world, this is the third series now. In the third series, they've got to get from Western Canada to Eastern Canada and they have as much money as it would take to do the flight, but they can't fly. So we've got to like, go in cars and go on uh, trains and coaches and so on. And it, I think it's given us a little tiny bit of a sense what travel was like in the old days. And if you've watched it, it's fair to say they don't find it entirely easy. Um, and that's an understatement. Um, it's a lot of work traveling back in Paul's times. A lot of work, toil, sweat, tears, relational stress. But it was worth it. It was worth it and more to share the gospel with the people of Galatia and beyond, to plant churches, to establish communities of faith. Paul presumably would have, you know, known their names, known people's stories, their backgrounds and their journeys. 
There's a real investment that's gone on behind this letter. So that's what I'm encouraging us to be immersed in. It's no wonder, as Andy said last week, that when Paul found out that there was a different gospel, to quote chapter 1, verse 6, a different gospel being shared, it's no wonder he shared urgency, passion, maybe even a little bit of frustration as he found out about that as he was writing to the church in Galatia. So let me encourage you to catch up on what Andy shared with us last week via YouTube or our podcasts. It's the beauty of podcasts. You can do that uh, driving into work on the train, the coach, probably not hitchhiking like race across the world. But rather than go through kind of Galatians line by line, we're going to pick out for the rest of our series some key themes and, and explore them in a little more detail. And so today's uh, key theme really comes in verse 20, which I'll remind us of. So Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ who lives in me. What does that mean, lived out? All I wanted to do was two surely trivial things in the remaining time to explore that question. The first one is to think about the nature of life and death. Trivial. And, uh, and secondly, our relationships with others. Easy. So we shouldn't be here too long. So let's, let's start with uh, life and death. Um, so at the beginning of verse 20, Paul writes that we have been crucified with Christ. It's quite easy to miss this. Now, I don't wish to sound flippant, but we say, oh, we've been crucified with Christ. Crucifixion generally resulted in death. That was rather the point. Our sinful natures have been crucified with Christ. The old self has died. Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, we can put to death our old sinful selves because Christ has paid the cost for us. I think a great summary of that is in the uh, song Before the Throne of God Above that says, Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, that is Jesus, to look on him and pardon me. Christ lives in me, Christ lives in us. And so we are made new people in Christ, beloved daughters and sons of our heavenly Father. Our old selves have died with Christ on the cross and we have new life in Christ. Well, that sounds, um, well, very good. We should celebrate that. We'll come back to that later. But does it mean we don't sin anymore? We have no problems in the world anymore? Yeah, no, obviously not. If only it did mean that. Temptation remains. Problems remain. Of course it does. Of course they do. But by the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in us, guiding us, helping us, being our comforter, making, helping us to make the right choices. And we have been made fundamentally 
right with Christ. That means daily, hourly, minutely, secondly, doesn't quite work. We confess our sins and that slate is wiped clean time and time again, again and again and again, which required us to put our old selves to death and to live in Christ. It's worth remembering carefully that line from before the throne of God above. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Is satisfied. It's a continuous process and we can keep coming back to Jesus. So as has been said already uh, in our prayers and in other things, we had our baptism service, services last week. And it is good to say confidently and clearly Yes, baptism is a ceremony. It does have a kind of set of procedures, if you like, around it. But if it was just a ceremony, we wouldn't celebrate it the way we do. It's so much more than just a ceremony. It has real power, real sacred sacramental power. When our candidates went into that water, their old selves died and as they come out they're made new in Christ it's no wonder that we've been celebrating that we should celebrate it they're changed by it Christ lives in them still as we think about our vision which uh, will come up on the screen to preach Jesus make disciples serve the city and send out leaders I only read it to make sure I got it right, not because I'd forgotten it. Uh, you might say that um, I've unpacked kind of some of that, but I've kind of not talked too much about our relationships with other people, and I said I would, our relationships with others and how that links to Christ living in us. So let's think about our relationships with other people, our other highly trivial next topic. So there was a poll uh, a few years ago uh, conducted of 2,000 Britons. I always think it's only other polls that say that things have been done by Britons. So it's a poll of ex-Britons. Anyway, it was, it was conducted by a well-known manufacturer of painkillers. I guess the point they were making was, you know, these are the things that give us a headache, you know. Very clever, you know. Somebody's obviously spent a long time coming up with this. Anyway, they did a survey of the most annoying things in life. Yes, the most annoying things in life. And I've gone through and I've picked the top ten most annoying things in life that relate to personal behaviour. So this is like the, the list of frustrations and we can talk about this later. So here we go. Uh, number one. People taking up two parking spaces. Yeah. Number two, people chucking rubbish out of car windows. Yeah. Number three, people not using indicators. It's amazing how many of these are doing driving. I'll tell you my theories about driving later. Number four, not being thanked for holding the door open. Yeah. Five, people holding conversations in a doorway. Yeah. Six, people cancelling on you. Seven, this is a big one. Middle lane hoggers. Ooh. Eight, 
people talking loudly on phones on the train. Nine, people boarding the train before everyone else gets off. That's so annoying. People, and number 10, people talking in the cinema. You can have a chat later amongst friends as to which one of those really gets to you. Why did I read this list out? I told Joanna, who I'm married to, that I was researching this list. Why on earth are you finding that? And it would get a few laughs, but what's the point? Well, the, the point is this. If Christ lives in me, you know what I'm going to say. He lives in others. He lives in others. Even when they might be driving us slightly round the proverbial bend, or literally round the bend, the amount of things that we're to do with driving. Christ lives in others, not just me. It's not to say that we can't challenge uh, people about behaviours or attitudes and so on. We could, we should, and we should do that appropriately. The word appropriately is carrying a lot of weight there. And I'm by no means a senior church leader, but when necessary, I am challenged by my colleagues and members of the congregation, and that's right and proper. We uh, had our APCM, elected people to our PCC, and part of their job is to look at what we're doing as a church and when appropriate to, 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 to kind of ask the right questions. But as Tim Keller says in this uh, excellent commentary on Galatians, this workbook, I'm going to uh, slightly paraphrase. Our approval of and love towards someone may end up resting on their performance. If that person has the same standards as you, you like them. But if, you, if not, you're angry with them. But remember that in the gospel, the perfect God made imperfect people like you and me right with him. He made us right with him. He did not hold our sin against us. And the shocking things about the gospel, and they were shocking to the people that Paul was writing to in Galatia, and they're as shocking now. Um, the sinless Christ through whom all things were made died for our sins. In baptism, our old sinful selves are put to death. And we can have new life because Christ lives in us. Because Christ lives in us, when we mess up, we can confess our sins time and time again, having that clean slate with Christ time and time again, being put right with him. And the second shocking thing of many is that if Christ lives in us, he lives in others. He lives in others. That has to challenge our discipleship, our relationship with other people, the way we serve other people as we feel we're called to do as a church here at St. George's. And of course, inevitably, it was Jesus himself who summarized best what it means that Christ lives in us and what it leads us to. He was asked famously, what is the greatest commandment, probably to try and trick him, you know, be clever here, we'll ask him a tricky question. And he summarized it brilliantly, linking the great 
Old Testament books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And he answered by saying, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.